Welcome to the Stakeholders Podcast, the show where we try to answer the question, what's at stake? We dive into how an organization's pursuit of their objectives affect or are affected by the people. Our guests come from the private industry, government, education, and more to discuss how they manage with their stakeholders in mind to achieve long-term success. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're joined by Layla Pomper. She's the president of Process Driven. And Layla, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Layla. What I do is I help small businesses create their business instruction manual and use ClickUp to do it. So a lot of different moving parts in that, um, in this little journey. Myself, I am based in Pennsylvania, USA with my husband and two dogs. And as uh, you very well know, we've got some ongoing construction. It seems like always at my house. So that's like the other, my, my evening job is home renovator. Yeah, it's funny. We uh, got to know each other when you were helping my company get started on ClickUp, which uh, it seemed like you've had construction for the last two months, two and a half months at least. <laughs> that would be on the low side. It, yeah, it's been a few years, but definitely the last few months. <laughs> it's now a hobby. It's almost like, wow, your house is getting constructed. You're constructing your own business. So can you give us a little bit more of an insight why you decided to start Process Driven and kind of what your goal and mission behind it is? Yeah, so I started Process Driven. I mean, there was a lot of different inspiration happening around the same time, but a lot of signs were pointing me towards the gap in documentation in businesses. Basically that we do things, we just kind of do them unintentionally. Sometimes the consequences are what we planned, but we just kind of wing our way through businesses with what um, some people have called default decisions. And I kind of, a lot of things in my life started pointing in that direction with my husband starting a business, the business that I was working for as an employee had some stuff going on. And when I decided I wanted to strike out on my own, it kind of naturally came back to that topic of helping people be more intentional about the systems that they build in their business. And over the years, that's gone from, I help small businesses, small service businesses define their business systems to kind of narrowing down into we're documenting those systems and specifically, like you said, using the tool ClickUp to do so. Is ClickUp the only tool you help companies with? Yeah, it's actually funny. I did it in the wrong order, but when I started, I was very much on whatever tool is going to get the job done in the best way. And that is hard to scale. It's also hard to keep up on all of the tools. And so over time, I was like, well, I find myself recommending this ClickUp thing a lot. And at the time it was, you know, I started using ClickUp about when it came out, <laughs> which is only three or four years ago now. And um, I started finding myself recommending ClickUp a whole lot for a certain use case. And I was like, well, maybe I can try specializing in this and just serendipity of ClickUp getting some funding, you know, myself going full-time in the business, all these things started aligning and then yes. So now I do specialize in using ClickUp for that process work, but I would say most of my work that I'm actually doing with clients is more so about thinking about your processes, getting them out of your head. I like to say ClickUp is a tool, it's an imperfect tool. And most of the work is just in our own downloading of information, which you probably know firsthand. <laughs> That's the hard part. And we just came into it a couple of months ago, my company, Vonazon, but the fact is that they are continuously updating. And I feel like that's one of the coolest things I've realized about this product so far. Now, would you say that you're a vendor of ClickUp? I would, you know, I think different people who have, do the same exact job I do would define themselves in a different way. 
Personally, I view my connection to ClickUp that of someone who respects good technology and ClickUp is what I consider best in class. Unlike other folks who have come along the tool, I don't consider it perfect. I think there's a likelihood that in five years, ClickUp might you know, make a decision that is no longer best serving my ideal client, which is a small business. And when that happens, or if that happens, then I would probably be looking towards other tools to best solve the problem. So as of right now, I am considered a consultant of ClickUp, a vetted ClickUp consultant. Technically, I'm a partner of their business, um, but I think vendor is probably too strong of a term for um, trying to just do what's going to be the right solution for the small businesses that I truly care about. No, yeah, and I really appreciate you correcting me. And the reason I bring it up is because obviously this kind of falls into the stakeholder theory, right? So the whole idea is that you're trying to help click up out while helping your uh, clients out at the same time. And I think it, this really falls really well into what's called the interconnection principle that Dr. Edward Freeman really talks about. It's how all stakeholders are connected somehow. And you're not supposed to be trading off the benefits from one stakeholder to benefit someone else. So I really appreciate that you cleared that up. Can you tell us a little bit more about who the stakeholders of your business are and who maybe you're a stakeholder of besides ClickUp? So I would, I would agree with you that ClickUp is definitely a stakeholder of my business and vice versa. But I very purposely put them lower down the rung from the actual people that I'm working for. So I think some of the more obvious stakeholders are the people who pay my bills, the clients who pay for services to help guide their process documentation journey. And I think when I started, that's who I thought my stakeholder was. Like, end of story, that's, I guess, the economic analysis of who a stakeholder would be, the person who's paying me money. Um, I think as I've had more and more reps of implementations, I very quickly realized that is the absolute last person really who needs to, um, who I need to worry about in some ways, because in the end, the business owner, the IT specialist, the office manager is going to be happiest if the employees are happy. So if I look at my stakeholders, I kind of look at them as the team members that I work with, the business owner or the manager who ended up bringing me in, ClickUp itself, and also just like the peer community. I, I like yourself, people who are learning about ClickUp, I mean, I have a YouTube channel. And so there's kind of this community element of people who are also trying to learn ClickUp. And there's all these different people that we need to juggle and please. And while we can't trade off one for the other, I think keeping in mind who is our primary, who, who should we be focusing on to kind of correct for our bias, which might steer us in the wrong direction. Um, it's been helpful for me at least to think about. Yeah, and you actually bring up a good point. I saw a post on your LinkedIn recently that talks about how your YouTube videos have actually been getting you more traction and allowing you to develop more of a community. Do you think that you're reaching new people or do you think you're reaching your same stakeholders in a new way that works better? I think my YouTube videos and... I think it speaks to who I, I truly want to reach, which often is not the business owner. Actually, I find people who have hired consultants and their team is struggling to learn and they're on YouTube trying to fill in the cracks and they find my videos and they find kind of solace in having someone explain it to them. Um, so I think my YouTube videos are exposing me to the people I want to serve. And it's often in the, the free format, which is fine. It's building a lot of interesting conversations and I guess those videos have really proven to me what, who, who I'm really trying to serve. I had a comment just come in, I think yesterday or two days ago, I, you know, I read all of them. And one of them came in and he was like, you just saved me 
from making a big mistake for my business because I love ClickUp, but this feature that you mentioned that isn't great and you saying honestly how it's not great yet helped me not make this move. And I think when I'm talking about ClickUp as a vendor versus just a tool that I'm viewing as a tool, I think YouTube has helped cemented the fact that my duty is to best serve, my fiduciary duty, if you will, is to serve uh, the users, not necessarily the business owners or ClickUp, it's the users who don't really have a financial power. They just have the power of, you know, they need to be helped. <laughs> yeah. And taking off my stakeholder cap and putting my marketing hat on here for a second, you're very much doing the inbound method of marketing where you're like putting content out there and people see the value and therefore they come to you. That, that's exactly what happened with me. I watched your YouTube and like I came to you because you obviously knew what you're talking about. But for on the stakeholder end, again, going back to the no trade-off, you, you're not afraid to bring up the fact that not everything is perfect about ClickUp. Now, have you gotten in trouble with ClickUp uh, over something like this before? I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> I've made, I've been trying to, I think from day one, I've been, I've been taking this stance of this is an imperfect tool. I think my, some of my earliest videos talk about that, but I think it's going to come. It hasn't come yet. They're pretty good about taking feedback in stride, but I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say what's going to help the people who are using the tool. <laughs> and I think saying that ClickUp is this white knight that's going to save your productivity just by spending this amount, you know, it's, that's, that's, that would be my marketing cap. And I'm going to keep that off for now and just, you know, try to solve the problem. I like that. Now, have you identified any primary versus secondary stakeholders from your current audience and your current customers? Yeah, I think it's been a real puzzle. So those stakeholders I mentioned before, if we just look at ClickUp, clients, clients, teams, and community members, I mean, that has been a real challenge for me lately <laughs> um, because I've, I've launched this kind of community offer. So now I have a way for um, YouTube followers or whatever to purchase some of my content. And this has all made the equation quite complex to keep track of how to best serve each audience in the way that's going to get them to where they need to go and also not just become a content machine that doesn't actually run a viable business. Um, I think in terms of balancing it, the biggest balance was the one I described before about between owners and owners teams and understanding that the financial incentive would be to completely serve what the owner wants. But with project management tools, I know we've spoken about this, project management tools are not something like a website or an app or, or an automation where I can just design it excellently to one person's parameters. And the more excellently it's designed, the better it's going to run. With project management tools, it's the hardest, at least for me, the hardest category of tool I've ever tried to implement because it is so subjective. It's like you're building an office space and you also have to decorate each person's personal office. So if I were to listen to just what the owner wanted, the project management tool actually would not work. It would serve the owner who is usually vastly outnumbered by the team and project management is really a team sport. So I think that balance between stakeholders has been challenging one, but also the ones that's really made my implementation approach kind of stand out. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's perfect. And you actually uh, hit on something that I want to continue on. You said that the owner is outnumbered, but oftentimes the owner is the loudest person, especially from your point of view, you often only talk to the owner. How do you deal with people that are more passive, that are maybe not as loud, and how do you bring their voice into this equation? 
Yeah, this, this was definitely a trial and error. So I'm, I'm self-taught in the implementation space. So at first, I really struggled with this. I would talk with just the owner. We'd take, make changes based on what the owner wants. The owner would focus on a different area and things would start unraveling. And where I've shifted now is to make it easier to hear the quieter voices is to have them there. Um, that helps a lot. So from meeting one, I mean, I honestly, I don't need the owner in almost any session. I don't really want the entrepreneur in many sessions because they're not, they're going to unduly influence the group consensus. And so some of my favorite projects I've been a part of, we kind of did more of a committee approach where we have representatives from different parts of the company who come together and work on this. And we purposely avoid bringing senior leadership or even senior members of a team into that committee. So there isn't that uh, power skew to helping, you know, to having people's voices overly heard. Um, the other thing, which is particularly fun about ClickUp, which you probably know, is it's very open and collaborative, very conducive to a little bit of light stalking. And so you can actually watch people's behavior in ClickUp. So during an implementation, those quiet voices are still taking loud actions. Actions are all the same volume. We can still see them in the analytics of who's done what. And so to help bring in the voices who aren't speaking up in the meetings, we're usually talking with them one-on-one -on -one or watching the actions that they're taking because those actions will tell us exactly what um, they actually mean or want to say or want to avoid saying, but are nonetheless uh, feeling or sensing. Can you talk about a time when you struggled with bringing in those voices because let's say the head honcho was trying to make sure they control the situation? Yeah, I mean, I would say many of my early implementations fell victim to basically leaving the status quo as it is and just trying to implement with a team who is comfortable in a position. And when we're trying to make a change and you've got your alpha dogs, if you will, like you've got the people who are feel very confident, the loud voices, um, and you're about to do a change, the people who are comfortable with change are going to take charge of the change. And so many of my early implementations, unfortunately, we didn't shake up status quo. We brought the people on. The owner was the one setting all of the terms. And what ended up happening with some of those teams, we ended up having to clean up some stuff, but we would design a system based around what the owner understood that the daily work would look like. So in ClickUp, that might mean arranging a hierarchy in a certain way of how your folders and lists look or who has access to what areas. And oftentimes, in this particular instance I'm thinking of, the owner has a very simple day-to-day. -day. They need to touch all areas of the business. They want it to be all one big list because that's how their brain works. They're across the entire organization. Whereas we finally bring in the team later on into the project back in these early implementations and the team comes in and they're like, what? This, this looks like my business. This looks like our boss's brain. And that is not something that I want to be peering inside. This is not something that makes sense to me. Um, and we, we start having issues with adoption and we end up having to rebuild or unwind decisions that were made by the owner to bring in the quieter voices. What's fun about removing the loud voices before you implement a tool like this is you're shaking up everybody. Everyone's sense of the power structure is shaken up. And so we can truly collaborate at an equal playing field. You're not just taking that rigid hierarchy and throwing it into ClickUp. You know, that's a very funny visual that you just put in my brain about the CEO's headspace, almost like, and for those of you who don't use ClickUp, there's this feature called mind map, which you can literally just like create like a literal like tree map of like whatever you want. And I'm just imagining right now creating one of every single task or assignment in ClickUp <laughs> and you're actually visualizing 
<laughs> oh man, I've been told that I, I had a client early on who said like, wow, you're the only one who understands what our boss is saying. And you know, it turns out that wasn't a good thing. I probably should have left some of the stuff uninterpreted <laughs> because the way your boss thinks about things is probably not the way that's best for the team. <laughs> no, that's true. It's, it's a different type of mentality, 100%. Now, you did mention earlier uh, that you were in the Philadelphia area uh, right now. There is a B-Lab hub, uh, and you were the one that told me about this at an earlier day. Yeah. Um, can you talk about uh, a little bit more about that and how that has influenced you? Yeah. I was very lucky as to um, when I decided to take the leap with no plan, jumping right out of a corporate job and saying, I'm going to start something. Yeah. So I was lucky to go right from that kind of abyss into a bunch of really supportive communities. And because Philadelphia and Lancaster PA, they have Lancaster, not Lancaster. I have to correct that for anyone listening. It's different, different thing. Um, we're not Californians here, but uh, in this area, there's a really strong presence of the kind of the, B Corp community. And when I kind of made the leap, there was a lot of local, I don't know if you want to call them incubators or accelerators, because they're more for the service or lifestyle businesses. They were really for people starting out where just as you are learning how to balance your budget or market for the first time, all those primer lessons, business for good was one of the cornerstones of that. And so we saw that in the SCORE mentorship, which is a free mentoring service across the country. We saw that at Assets of Lancaster, which is the program I went through that had this as a cornerstone. Because these nonprofits were already so proactively trying to get people B Corp certified, all of the businesses that went through these training programs were exposed to this idea. And I, I had come from, I know we talked about, I was an economics major. So we also, I learned this in college. And when I decided to make the leap into entrepreneurship, when this came back on my radar, I was like, oh, of course, this is a thing. And by then, you know, fast forward so many years, it had become even bigger and bigger. So I, I would give major credit to Assets of Lancaster for kind of bringing that onto my radar. It's really interesting where this movement has come because when I first discovered it, it was Patagonia, it was very green and Ben and & Jerry's. And now I, I watched on LinkedIn that Hootsuite became a um <clears throat> became a partner as well it'd be certified and that's really exciting to see more and more companies grow out of it do you foresee yourself becoming a big corporation yeah so it's funny they had us take the test actually i, I think i've taken it two or three different times that scoring test for which you probably know the name but i'm just knowing it as the scoring test <laughs> But there's a test you take to, to kind of test how far you are along the B Corp kind of process. And I've taken it, I think, twice. And one thing I realized is as a, a small service-based digital business, the burden to become B Corp is very, it almost felt like it was kind of superficial. So it is something that I would love to do as kind of the business grows. At this point, it feels like it would probably not be, I mean, I'm just going to make the right decisions for right decisions sake. But I do love the idea, the, the structure and the potential of that kind of down the line, especially for bigger businesses. I think there's, I think it's a very cool framework to just be able to hold yourself to. Yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you were talking about the B impact assessment, correct? Yes, indeed. That's the name. I knew you would know the name. <laughs> I think and this is a little bit out there, but I totally foresee a future where companies take a bigger role in people's lives, where it's not even about um, your customers, but it becomes almost like a small type of government that companies become and they're, they're actually like trying to help 
that people deserve. It, it is a little bit either like really far in the future, but oh, I don't of- think so. I, I think that's very near term. I think we are already unofficially doing that with G- millennials. What is it, Gen Z? What, whatever the the generations are below that. I think it's already an unofficial. I think that's already unofficially where things are going. Even small businesses you see that are only making you know five hundred thousand a year are donating a percentage to charities or taking on social responsibility. It's gone beyond marketing now. I think B Corp has formalized it, especially with the what the articles of incorporation changes that you make when you become certified to make it both, uh, I guess, what would it be called enforceable in the sense that you are allowed to act in the best interest of full stakeholders versus just shareholders. But I think the societal pressure to have that even for those of us who are not at that level or not um, certified at that point, I think it's already there. Man, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I, you know, it's sometimes... I think I talk to like non-business people sometimes and they're like, no, nah, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. So it's like, it's so cool to like get a little bit of that, like positive feedback too. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Um, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I, I think, I think it's, it's kind of like a train. Like we can't stop it now. Being a B Corp comes with a lot of accountability. And do you believe that most people and most corporations at this point are accountable and honest and truthful about what they do and all of that? Or do you think it kind of skews the other way where it's like the old school of the 20th century business where it's all about profit? I'm going to do another visual because I think that's how my brain is taking this right now. If we think about, you know, this whole social environmental consciousness and we think of it like a rain that's like permeating through the surface of business, I think for a while there it was, it was some exceptional businesses like Patagonia. I know we talked about like reading some of some of the books that you you might read from them really let you know that they're doing business in a different way. And then it moved beyond that into the Toms. And then maybe even you went a little bit further where it almost felt like in some senses, social good was a form of marketing. I think now it's permeating deeper and deeper where that sense of responsibility will be socially enforced through society. Like we will not accept less. I do not think we're there yet. <laughs> so I think, um, I think there is still definitely some old school business practices. I, how long it'll take to sniff them out might be a long game, but can we ever really know what the downstream consequences are? Maybe that's also just human ignorance and we have to wait till technology takes <laughs> over to fully anticipate what that might uh, entail. Very well put. I, I very much agree with that. Well, Layla, I want to thank you very much for uh, coming on and being a guest on the Stakeholders Podcast. Do you have any final words before we sign off? No, just thank you so much for having me. This podcast is very needed and it's a great topic. So hopefully this will be part of that change that'll help the permeation go all the way through. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And thank you for all of you listeners. And I'll see you all in the next episode.